Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome here in part two of the series called He Said, She Said. Guys, how many feel like that sometimes? Yeah. You, you are dumb enough to raise your hand. God, I feel like, I feel like I've never, I've, you just, you're not listening. I'm trying to train you. If I, that's a trick question. If I say how many guys feel like that, you're supposed to look at me like, no way, babe. That's the right answer. God. Let's pray. Jesus, help these men. I'm just kidding. He, he said, she said, part two. So glad that you're here. If you were not here last week, you need to go get last week's message. It was so, so good. It, because what we learned is, is that there is some very, very fascinating differences that when the Bible says in Genesis that God made mankind, and then he said he made a male and female, that was legit. That actually meant a lot. And, and obviously, we're very aware that men and women look different. You know, we, 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 there's, there's some exterior differences, right? There's some internal plumbing differences. There's definitely some things there. Like, like for instance, says that, that God made woman, which is a man with a womb. And so that's what you get these internal differences. Not only do you have physical differences and internal differences, you have major psychological differences. And there are certain tendencies. And, and, and generally speaking, there are certain ways that men are just wired in their brain. How many of you, if you were here last week, how many of you looked at the way you brushed your teeth this past week? How many of you did that? You looked at it the way I, I, I hit up. Hey, check this out. I was talking to a man who was not here last week, and I literally caught him. His wife was right next to him, and I caught him literally staring into space for what felt like a good, like, you know, 15 seconds or so. And I'm like, see that right there? He's in his nothing box. And so uh, if you need, you, some of you ladies need to go get last week because you know what the nothing box is and know that you need to stay out of the nothing box because if you got in the nothing box and there'd be something in it and then no longer be the nothing box. Um, so it's only, I'm just telling you, there, there's some major psychological differences between men and women and they're awesome. They're, they're just awesome. They're beautiful, amazing, and wonderful differences. And the more you begin to learn what those differences are, the more you can just smile and be like, Yep, that's why he is that way, or yes, that's what that's, and that's okay that she's like that. That doesn't make her weird, she's just different. And when you learn how to embrace it, she's beautifully different. And he is wonderfully different. I don't want to say he's beautifully different, because that's weird. He's wonderfully different. And so, anyway, uh, we will kind of continue that journey, because we looked at last week that there is, there's psychological differences, there's, there's differences in God, how he how he made us. Our origins are different. Our temptations are different. Like what a woman is tempted to think or go in her heart to do is very different than what a man is tempted in his mind or in his heart to do. There's just major, major differences. And today we will look at like how our needs are different. Like I, I just want you to know, like ladies, you have different needs in terms of what you need out of the relationship than what a man needs. And that is perfectly fine. That's okay. And so this is, this is what happens so many times in relationships. Inside of a relationship, and guys, maybe you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. Ladies, you'll, you'll hopefully pick up on this. You'll get a couple together who's struggling and not doing well together. And, um, and, and she's sitting there saying, but I want this and I want that. And he just doesn't. And there's this gap where she's just some, for whatever reason, not getting her needs met. And then typically, if I were to bring that up to the guy, the guy would be defensive. It's not that he would say, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. He would be like, no, that's not true. I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. Of course I love her. And the difference is, is that he's trying to do something for her, but it's not meeting that most crucial need. And she's doing something for him, but it's not meeting that crucial need. And so you left, 
You end up left with these deficiencies in the relationship. And when those start to spiral into a negative direction, man, that's where the relationship begins to go sour. And I want to help you understand that you guys have different needs so you don't end up like certain people. Like I'll, I'll give you an example. There was this man who went to a graveyard. It was his mother's, the anniversary of his mother's death. And he went to go take flowers to his mother's grave and just have that moment. And he looks over, and not too far away, there was another man at another gravestone, and he's just weeping and crying and upset. And the guy feels bad. I mean, the guy looks over and is like, man, I, that guy is tore up. I just, I'm, I feel like out of compassion, I just want to go say something to him. And he walks over and he goes, sir, I, I've just never seen a man just so upset. Can, can I ask you, maybe it's not my place, can I ask you, like, who, who are you grieving? Was this for a child, a mother? Who, who was this? And, and he looks up and tears in his eyes. He goes, no, this is my wife's first husband. And um, <laughs> some of y'all get that on the way home. Um, this is my wife's first husband. Um, so today we will look at his needs and her needs. Some of y'all still trying to put that together. He was sad. If I have to explain the joke, it's just not worth it. Let's pray this morning. Father, we pray, God, that as we look into these unique and holy and divine words from Scripture, that, God, there would be some ancient truth and some ancient principles, some just absolutely divine counsel for us today. And God, help us to not kick against the scripture, God, but just for the moment, give you the benefit of the doubt that you're the God who knows all things, that you designed us to be a certain way, and that you're smarter than us. If we would just give you that benefit, God, that would be my prayer, that every one of us would just be open for the next few moments just to listen to what you have to say and to give you an opportunity to speak into our lives and to most likely change us from the inside out, Lord. That's our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said... Amen. Hey, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 5, and here's why. Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul has the longest take in the New Testament just dealing with marriage. Now, I'm going to give you a thought here. Every scripture in all of the Bible that deals with human relationships, whether you go into the book of Proverbs, you look at what Jesus said, any scripture that deals with human relationships, I want you to know that you can apply that to your spouse. And I used to think marriage scriptures are for marriage and people scriptures are for people. And then it dawned on me, my wife is people. So I should probably go ahead and just apply all of those scriptures. But there is some very, very unique, basically, scriptures in Ephesians chapter 5. And it's the longest take in the entire New Testament. And funny enough, it dawned on me. I was like, I have referenced these scriptures. But I don't think I've ever taken a Sunday where I worked through just this text, walked all the way through it, and said, God, what do you have to say to us? And so that's what we're going to do today. Because what Paul does is, and here's the funny thing. This is my guess because of what I know about me and most men is that I don't, just, just so you know too, I'm just going to be honest, I don't actually know a lot about women. I've been married for almost 15, it'll be 15 years next month. I really don't know a lot. My wife will attest to that. And, 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 and here, as a matter of fact, there's, there's this incredible book that if you'd like to get it, there's a book called What Men Know About Women. Has anybody ever seen this book before? It's 300 blank pages. <laughs> this is a real book. This is a real book. That's what men know. And, and, and you know what? I, and every guy in here is probably frustrated because they're like, why didn't I think of that? This guy has made so much money <laughs> off of a novelty book with zero input into it. Because we, we, don't, we don't know. And, and, and because of that, what I wonder, this is just my question. Maybe the Apostle Paul is consciously brilliant. But here's, here's 
I almost wonder, did the Apostle Paul actually know what he was writing when he wrote it? Or was he purely just having an inspired moment, wrote what the Holy Spirit was speaking to him, and then walked away? I was like, I guess that's brilliant. I don't even know. I'm going to have to look into this. I don't know, because he basically dropped some incredible truth, in my opinion, some incredible wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And my curiosity is, is did he really know what he was writing? Or was he just, because I think he was just completely inspired. That's just my guess. I think he was so inspired in the moment by what the Holy Spirit was telling him. Because I don't know that most men know this, think about this, and are conscious of this. And so anyway, this is what he wrote, and I believe inspired by the Holy Spirit. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 21. The Bible says this, submit to one another out of reverence. For Christ, The very first thing that he does is he talks about, because he's going to talk about kids a little bit later too. So he's talking and he's opening up the idea of family dynamic, human relationship, uh, opposite sex relationship. And he starts with something so counterintuitive to what most Christians know. Because I know a lot of Christians know, well, wives, they ought to submit to their husbands, but not the other way around. And he actually drops this first truth bomb and he says, actually, the way that you have great relationship, and, and anybody that's been married for any length of time will know it's when you submit to one another like there's a mutual submission that makes both relationships great but then he goes further though because it's almost confusing and he at the end it's all going to wrap together in a pretty little bow so he says submit one to another out of reverence for christ next verse 22 wives submit to your own husbands meaning like not another guy's husband or another woman's husband or just some random dude but submit to your own husband as you do that's important. We're going to break this all down. As you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, submit, should submit to their husbands in everything. And all the ladies said, woo! No. They typically don't. This, this word submit... One, two, three, four, five, six. That's seven letters, but y'all treat it like it's four. And, and, and there's so many women, there's like a, there's like a gut-wrenching, like, oh, I don't know that I like this. So here's the deal. If you don't like it, you're going to have to choose two things. You're either going to just go ahead and rip it out of your Bible, crumple it up, throw it in the fire, and just say, God, I don't, I don't trust you on that one. Or, or give God the benefit of the doubt. And maybe as a Bible teacher, I can help work this out. Just a little bit. Because typically what I find is that there, there is a kickback to this. And, and ladies, I get it. There's a bunch of boneheaded dudes out there that have misquoted, misused, misinterpreted, abused that thing. And that's many times where you get the, the kind of the kickback is, well, I don't want to ever. As a matter of fact, um, there was a, a, a situation when I was engaged to my wife where... Um, I was probably a little bit too, you know, boisterous and dominant in how I spoke and said things. And, and I said some things apparently in front of my mother-in-law. And my mother-in-law, this is at the time, my future mother-in-law, my future mother-in-law and my wife are headed over to like the east side of the state to go looking at wedding dresses because there's this great wedding boutique over there. And, and then my, I don't know the details of the conversation. I just know the best part of it. And my, my, my future mother-in-law was basically saying, are you sure? You want to, because did you see the way? And this was the line I remember, ain't nobody going to tell my baby what to do. And that was, my, that was my, she loves me now. I've made her cry a couple times, but generally speaking, she loves me. I'm, I'm uh, hey, we're all lost and in looking for Jesus to find us, okay? Um, 
So, so, so anyway, there's a, there's a kickback to it. The, the, other, the other time I find people kick back to it is, is if you were raised by like a super dominating like mom who, you know, just kind of like that was the nature and the spirit and the attitude and the personality that she had many times. That's the way that you feel like. And that, if this is your personality that you were born with and you're a little bit more type A or D personality, however you, you think about that. Or, or you know what, if you just come from like a super hyper like liberal women's lib women, you know, I'm telling you, it comes from all kinds of different places. But again, what I want you to do is just give me the benefit of the doubt and above me, give God the benefit of the doubt that maybe there's something more to this than what on the surface it actually means. Because when we hear submit, typically our mind goes in a direction. I'll I'll tell you how this, this works for us. We had a young man who came to us and we, I think I did their wedding ceremony. They were a wonderful young couple and he was getting frustrated. And so he came to my wife and was like, can you just talk to her? Can you just let her, she's supposed to just do what I tell her to do. Isn't that the way this works? And my wife laughed out loud. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and, and again, so, so here's what you need to know. The word submission is very, very different than the word obedience. Because when we read this in its context, there's something profound that you need to see here. When he talks about husband and wives, he talks about submitting one to another. And he talks about wives submitting to husbands. But when he gets to children, he doesn't say children submit. He says children obey. And I'm like, why would, why would you say that? That's interesting because like you, if, if what wives were supposed to do for their husbands was just obey, he would have just said obey. But he doesn't say obey. He says children obey because like little kids, they need to just obey. That way, when you tell them don't play in the street, don't play in the street. Don't run with scissors, don't run with scissors. Don't punch your sister, don't punch your sister. And so th- th- this is just the way you obey. You do what I say because you're a little person and living in a big world and I'm a big person that's got the big world somewhat figured out. And so you need to just obey. But it never says that a husband should ever look at his wife and be like, you need to obey. And so obedience and submission are very, very different things. So like, let me give you the idea of submission. Everybody in this room is supposed to submit. Like, like for example, like if you're a Christian, the Bible says that we submit our hearts to the Lord. Like that's all throughout the New Testament that we submit. So not, not only that, the Bible teaches us that we should submit to like governing earthly authority. So like when we have laws, we should just obey the laws. We should submit. We should have that type of thing. But then you, but then you find something different. The apostles... When they were first starting the New Testament church, they ran into a law that they couldn't obey, but they were still submitted. They ran into a group of religious leaders that said, you can't tell anybody else about Jesus. You can't preach Jesus. You need to shut up about this Jesus thing. And what they did was, is that they said, we honor the fact that you're in charge, but we don't honor the fact that you, that you, you know, whatever, and we can't stop doing what we do. So in their hearts, they were submitted, but they didn't obey. Does that make sense? It's not the same. This is what really, to me, submission means in light of the context. Submission means that I will have an attitude of honor and respect. It, means, it just means that I'll have an attitude. So the, the word submission actually comes from a military term where there would be a leader and troops kind of coming together to follow that leader. So it has more to do with saying, hey, I have an agreeable attitude. I have an honoring and respectful attitude. It means I can disagree with you. And, and, and I can change my mind and I can actually say, hey, I'm not sure that this is a good idea and I don't think we should go down this road. It just means that you don't do it with this dishonor and disrespectful attitude and vibe. Does that make sense? When you get into Proverbs, you start seeing the, the Solomon say things like, hey, ladies, be careful how you talk to a guy or how you speak to a guy. Because whenever you speak in a dishonoring and disrespectful way, it's better for him to live on the corner of his roof than to live with you. 
Now, I didn't say that. So if you'd like to email, it's Solomon at Bible.com and you tell them whatever you want. But there's a thing that they're getting to here. There's a thing that they're getting here. And it goes back to what the needs are. So, so ladies, let me, let me have it real quick. Submit does not mean necessarily to obey. Submission does not mean that, guys, you need to get this. Submission does not mean that she brings you a beer and chips and gets you the remote control and just does whatever you say. That is not what that means. Submission does not mean, ladies, that you are less than in any way, shape, or form. You are every bit as wonderful and equal and awesome as men are, and there is no taking that away from you. Submission does not mean that you're weak. As a matter of fact, it probably requires more strength to have a submitted heart than otherwise. So it doesn't mean that. Um, submission doesn't mean that you need to do uh, things that, that are ungodly or unbiblical. It doesn't mean that you should stay in an abusive relationship. I have women come to me all the time, and they're like, well, should I? No, get out. Because they got the whole, the Bible says I shouldn't do this or I shouldn't. No, get out. No, leave his butt. He's a jerk. I'd hit him back. You know, I, that, I'll stop. Um, I was going to say some stuff. I'm like, that's too far. Um, so, so, so this is the idea of, of submitting. It has to do, so obedience has to do with the will, meaning what you do, I will just do what you said to do. Submission has to do with the attitude of the heart. And the reason why, so I'm asking myself, why would the apostle Paul make such a big deal about this? Because he, remember, he opened with both of you submit to one another. Meaning both of us should always be trying to treat each other with what? Honor and respect. Doesn't that make sense for every human relationship that you would want to thrive and to prosper? Have you ever had a friend that you thought, I'm just going to disrespect them and see if they hang on? We don't treat people like that in every relationship, but even more so in marriage because of the proximity. We should always be looking to be honoring and respecting, but he goes to the second level and says, wives, be extra careful to submit to your husbands, and here's why. The number one need of a man is to be respected. That's it. Paul is aware of something, ladies, that might not make the most sense of you because of the way that you're wired, the way your emotions work, and the way your mind works, what you think is the most important thing to you is not the most important thing to him. Meaning, let me put it like this. A man has such a need for respect that it's, it's almost like if you, if you didn't love him, but you respected him, the relationship would last. It's just the way a man is wired to work. Now, he needs to be respected the same way he needs water if you want the marriage relationship to thrive. And, so, and think about this. Even God is so aware of this reality that the core need of a man is to be... Now, let me ask you a question. Do men want to be loved? Of course. But what they need above that is to be respected. Because if you loved them but didn't respect them, they'll still feel neglected and deficient. It's just the way that they're wired. And, and you can be mad at that if you want, and you can fight that all that you want, but you're going to end up bringing in destructive attitudes and behaviors to your marriage. Even God is so aware of this reality that when he addresses men in the Bible, many times you see him do the exact same thing. So I'll give you an example. When he goes to Abram and he says, hey, you're going you're gonna to do this and this and this, he starts building up his courage and building up his honor. And he goes, I'm even going to change your name so that you know that you're the father of many nations. You know how many kids he had? But God's like, I'm going to so build up your honor and your, your courage and your respect level and your, your self-confidence. I want you to know that even though technically you're nothing, I want to speak over you as if you're everything. 
God does the same thing. He finds this chump named Gideon who is so scared. He's afraid. He hides. He won't fight. He's got no fight in him. He's letting people punk him and punk his family and rob him and take his stuff. And he won't make a stand. And God shakes him and says, Gideon, you are a mighty man of courage. Now, was that true? No, of course not. It was the opposite of true. But God is dealing with the fact that he needs to be built up. Peter's the same way. Peter is a fisherman. He didn't make the cut. He wasn't good enough to follow the rabbi and go to school and go on. He was sent home to do his father's trade. He was a, kind of low on the social totem pole. And he, he starts building him up. And in the very first interactions that Jesus has with Peter, he changes his name because his name's originally Simon. He goes, I'm going to call you Peter because you're a rock. You're like, you're like that WWE guy with the bulging muscles. You're the rock. That's how awesome you are. What, what, ladies, the reason why this is important is because what you don't know is, is that most men, and this is proven through studies, most men feel like there's at least one or two parts of their life where they feel like they're a fraud. Most men have one or two areas of their life where they feel like they just don't measure up and they're deathly afraid of you finding out. We don't always know. We, look, most of the time that's a mask. Most of the time our pride gets the best of us. We are covering up our own insecurities. And what we need is a wife to come alongside and give us unconditional respect. Because I know the kickback. The kickback many times is, well, I would respect him if he would act respectable. <laughs> now, I want you to think about what the Bible said. Do you know that when the Bible said, when it talked about submitting, having an attitude of honor and respect, that there was no, there was no caveat? There was no like, hey, look, if he does this, respect him. If he does this, respect him. Now, if he does these, you don't have to respect him. None of that was in there. Now, now let, me, let me make some sense of this. Ladies, do you sometimes make mistakes or have issues? Okay. Do you still want us to give you unconditional love? Your need for unconditional love is no different than our need for unconditional respect, even when we don't deserve it. Listen to this. I wrote this down. The key to unlocking the potential in a man is to treat that man with unconditional respect long before he deserves it. Because I know what you're thinking, ladies. You're thinking like, cause, cause, and this goes back to the way that many of you think about dating. Like when, when a guy starts dating a girl that he really, really likes and she's the one, this is what he thinks. She's awesome. I hope she never changes. And then y'all change, of course. And then most women, when they look at men, think, I think he's got potential. I think I can change him and work on him. No, don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. And, and so, so again, you've got to think that, so, so ladies, when you start approaching a man as if, okay, he's the one that I'm going to fix, every time that you make him aware that you're fixing him, he feels less than because he feels like now I don't measure up. This is what's wrong with me. This is why I'm a fraud. This is what's not good enough about me. And now she's aware of that and trying to expose that and change me because I'm not good enough. Do you see where you're going with that? And so the key to unlocking his potential is never to demasculate, to dishonor, because you, you think, well, if I just would beat him up, he would change. Or if I would just get on him enough and I would nag him enough, he would change. He will, but he'll only change towards more of a heart of bitterness. Why? Because what is his number one need? His number one need is to be respected. Even if he hasn't earned it yet, it's your best route, ladies. Now, women, you, you guys are different. Now, does a lady, ladies, let's be honest, do you want to be respected? Y'all are like nervous. Come on. Do y'all want to be respected? Absolutely. Of course you do. But it's not your number one need. You want to be respected. You have a need to be loved. You have a need. There you go. You have a need to be a cherished. You have a need to be adored. Guys, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a hint here real quick here. This is going to, 
make Valentine's Day make sense? (laughs) This word loved is big. And it's because women are so dynamic and complex. This has got to go a number. For some women, it's, it's, it's a little bit this way. It's a little bit that way. What, what turns her heart is a little bit different from one on one. And just so you know, too, it's a moving target. So whatever you figured out this year, in five years, it could be different. And so just be prepared. You want to you know what I, this is, and ladies, y'all can amen me if y'all think, what a woman really wants, maybe this would be more descriptive, is to be chosen. They want to be, they want to be, cho- they want you. Why, think about this. Why would a woman ever get married? It's the worst. <laughs> they got to leave their family. They got to take on your name. If you move, they got to travel with you. They got to go, all of a sudden they got to risk their life to have your kids. <laughs> Most of the time they're, they're staying at home to take care of your crazy kids. That DNA came from you. They just incubated it. Okay. And then, like, so much of the sacrifice in marriage is on the woman's side. So you would think, why? Especially in today's age. Now, back then, it makes sense because they needed it for survival just as much as anything else. But today, they don't need it for survival. Why, why, would they, why would a woman want to get married? Because deep in her heart, what she really wants is to be loved. What she really wants is to be chosen. Because what she wants is the guy to say, you're different than every other girl. And I like you better than every other girl. And I want to spend my life with you and not any other girl. You're the one. And I choose you. Like that's, that they want to be adored. They want to be cherished. They want to be loved. They want to be chosen. This is their need. And now ladies, let me help you over here. Most guys do love you. They just think it's showing it. Okay? There's matter of fact, it was this recent study that I read. And it went on to show that they took these, these married couples and they asked all the men, if you could do it over again, would you still marry your wife? And like 80% of the men were all like, yeah, Absolutely. The number was much lower for women. If you, and when you ask them, would they redo it all over again? Most men are totally like content and happy and love you. And they don't want you to change and to change anyway. But they really do love you. They just kind of stink at showing you how they love you. And, and, and it's because we have different definitions of what love are. And we have different definitions of what respect are. And so what men need more than anything is they need for you to respect them. And most of it is in your language. Most of it is verbal. And when it comes to love, I'm going to tell you what Paul says here. So let's keep reading here. So the Bible says that verse 25, because remember, it just went through the woman. This is the progression of the whole teaching that Paul does. First, he talks about both of us submitting to one another. Then he starts with wives first. Now, I hear, here's my opinion. I could be wrong about this. I think he starts with wives first, and he does this in Ephesians. He does this in Colossians. Peter does this in his writing. I think it's because for the most part, women are better at initiating good things in relationships. That's just my opinion. I think most of the time when a relationship needs to move forward, usually it's the woman who's better at initiating those changes. And so I think he starts with women. That's an opinion thing. But now he switches from women and he goes to men. And this is what he says to you men. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. What he's starting to do is make a parallel that the way a husband loves his wife is the same way Jesus loves the church. And so he starts talking about these church analogies. Let's keep going though. Verse 28, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves 
himself. Let me say that again, because that's just a huge phrase. He who loves his wife loves himself. Men, if you've been married for any length of time, you know that. Because when I love my wife really, really well, it always comes back to bless me. So I really am loving myself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of this body. So he does this parallel, this analogy of Jesus loving the church is the same way that a husband loves his wife. And he basically gives you these ideas. Like, so for example, like this is what you need to think about. Husbands, you need to love your wife, and you don't always know how, but I want you to think about in these terms. I want you to love her just like Jesus loved the church. Now, for some of you, like, okay, what does that mean? Here's what this means. Have you ever, like, heard a preacher be like, you need to love your wife? And your response is, but she's crazy. Do you know what I have to live with? Do you know what she's like? Do you know what I have to put up with? Do you know what I go through? She's crazy. Let me help you out real quick here. Jesus doesn't care that she's crazy um, because you're crazy and he still loves you. Jesus loves the church and let's be honest, the church is crazy. Look at, look at the church history. 2,000 years we've been trying to figure this out. We make one screw up after the other. Just pick a generation we do something dumb. Like generation after generation, the church is constantly doing something that's dumb. Like when you go back and you think about the Crusades, like what were we thinking When you think about the Inquisition, when you think about the Salem witch trials, when you think about weird TV preachers, you're like, oh, God. When you think about all the weirdness that is in the church, we had a period of time where Christians in the South thought it was okay to own slaves. What? What were we thinking? Like, what was going through our brain? But we were dumb and we were blinded. We were blinded by the age of our generation. We just missed things. We didn't know things. And you know what Jesus kept doing that whole time? Loving you anyway. I don't know why they need to have 10 pillows on the bed. It makes no sense. (laughs) It doesn't. It it makes no sense why they go and buy a pair of shoes that are that expensive only to complain about how they hurt their feet and then never wear them. That don't make no sense. (laughs) That don't make no sense. Stop it. (laughs) My my point is, and I put it like this is that Jesus loves the church based on our position, not our performance. Meaning Jesus loves you just because of who you are, not how good you were today. We'd be in trouble if Jesus' love was based on our performance. How many of y'all been performing great lately? Don't raise your hand. That's just pride. You know, messed it up again. He don't love us based on our performance. He, lo- he loves us based on our position. We are his church. It's just, it's, just, it's just a commitment to being who he is. Just because of who we are, not how great we are, not how good our performance was. So guys, I need you to love your wife based on her position. Just simply because she's your wife, you're committed, you're in. If you can't make that commitment, don't get married. Just because, and this is what some of you men need to do. Some of you men need to go look at your wives this afternoon and say, I love you. And I, will, I don't care how crazy you are, how many pillows you need. I will love you. You can take that to the bank. I'll love you. No matter what, I will love you. Jesus, I want you to love her just like Jesus loved the church. Number two is this. So Jesus, love her like Jesus loved the church. Number two is this. Love her sacrificially. Listen to what it says. He says, love your wives like Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. Think about that phrase. And gave himself for her. Jesus literally went to the cross to die for the church. That's the way as a husband you need to think. You need to think about like, like that's what I'm willing to do. You need to think about that Brian Adams song. Like, I would die for you. I'd lie for you. Something, yeah, for you. 
you need to do all them things. You need to become a Brian Adams love song. You need, to, you need to love her sacrificially. This means when she's pregnant and she wants, was it Brussels sprouts or cauliflower? It was something weird. It was 2 a.m. No, I don't want to go to the store. I want to go to bed. I did it. There's this one, there was this one time. One, this is many, many times, but there's this one time in specific I'm thinking about. And man, we, I, you know, 90% of your brain is working even while you're asleep. That's why you hear the baby, you hear the noises, and all of a sudden she hears a noise. She's like, Ty! You know, she has to hit me five times to wake me up out of a coma. And I'm like, what? There's somebody in our garage. I'm like, baby, ain't nobody in our garage. Ain't nothing in our garage to steal. Ain't nobody in our garage. She's like, there's something in there. I heard a noise. You've got to go check. And so, man, I whip out. I won't tell you what I'm packing, but I, I, I believe in gun control. I believe my gun can control you if need be. And so, so I, I'm, and I got the tactical light. But anyway, I'm out there like, yeah, I'm commandoing this bad boy. Why? Because she's flipping out. You know what it was? It was the water pipes. It was the water pipes, baby. I know, I know, but I love you no matter what. I will die for you. I will get tactical for you. I will go take on hell with a water gun. I don't care. That, he said he loved him like Jesus loved. That's how I want you to love your wife who gave himself. I want you to sacrifice some things in your life. Sometimes you watch the rom-com, okay? Sometimes that you watch HGTV or whatever she's into. Sometimes I had, I had a dude that for the life, they were struggling in their marriage. And, and, and she basically had these same things. She had these needs that weren't being met. All she wanted was to be loved, adored, chosen, cherished. And he wasn't getting it. He kept having, but I work and I do this and I do. Yeah, you keep loving her on your terms, by the way. And, and, and all she wanted him to do was take her dancing. He's like, but I don't dance. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. You take her dancing. A sacrifice. No matter if you can't dance. You, I've done stupid things for my wife just to make her smile. I can't do them. I just try to do them and it's amusing to her. <laughs> Why? Just because you do it. Just because you love her sacrificially. Number three is this. is You love her like you love yourself. Isn't that what he said? He said love her like you love your own bodies. Love her like you love yourself because no man ever... Loved himself and not, not loved himself, right? So he goes, he uses this analogy like this thing. And here's what this means. It doesn't mean leave me alone and let me watch the game and get me beer. So that's what she wants. I'm going to leave her alone, get her beer and let her watch. That, that's not what that means. That's the way you want to be loved. Maybe. What is it and in what way does she want to be loved? Because it's a moving target. You're going to have to study her. You're going to have to like observe. You're going to have to take notes sometimes. And you're going to have to think, what would make her feel loved? As a matter of fact, I remember having this conversation with my wife, and it's, and it's so based off of a movie. There's a movie called The Breakup with uh, Jennifer Aniston and, and Vince Vaughn, and they break up. Sorry to give away the movie, spoiler alert. Um, they, they break up, and one of the main fights that starts in this movie is how he was supposed to bring home a 12-lemon centerpiece, but he brought home like four lemons. And then after dinner, there's all these dishes from having company over, and it was supposed to be a big night. He just kind of bombs the night. And then he gets on his video game. He goes into his man box, his nothing box, zones out into the video game. And she's like, will you please just do the dishes for me? And he goes, I don't want to do the dishes. 
And she's like, well, I want you to want to do the dishes. Now, ladies, let me tell you something real quick here. That's a dumb phrase. I have never wanted to do the dishes in my life. I will never want to do the dishes in my life. And in my youthful stubbornness, I thought, that's my stand. And then I learned something about women. It's taken me decades. I learned something about my wife in particular. She doesn't really want me to want to do the dishes. That's just the way she phrased it. Because I will never want to. Man, can I get an amen? You never want. Yes, I'm clapping going over there. Like, I, I, I never want to do the dishes. Here's what they're really saying. This might be like man code. Let me interpret that. What they want is for you to want to make them feel loved. And if doing the dishes is what makes them feel loved, then bless God, get up and do the dishes. Not because you want to do the dishes, but because you want to make them feel loved. That's what it's all about. So I'm never going to want to want to do the dishes. I hate dishes. I would go paper plates permanently. Yeah, and then my 12-year-old takes out the trash. I don't got to do nothing now. <laughs> but I'm not going to want to want to do the dishes. But what you want to want to do, and here's, here's why this is so important. Notice he said, I want you to love her like Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. You can't do any of this unless you have Jesus in your heart. How can you love somebody like Jesus loved the church if you don't have Jesus in your heart? The most important aspect of this is your personal relationship with God. Because, because Jesus compels me to want to know my why. Jesus compels me to want to love my why. Jesus compels me to want to be the best husband that I can possibly be. It's Jesus in me that's compelling me to do all these things. No, I don't want to want to do the dishes. But because of Jesus in me, I want to want to make her smile. And I want to want to make her feel loved. And that's what Paul's saying. Don't love her on your terms. Because you keep talking about how you worked hard and you made money and you did these things and you did these things. And what you're saying is this. I loved you on all of my terms, but yet they still feel deficient. They still feel empty. Why? Because you're still loving them on your terms. And what I'm telling you to do is to love them on their terms. Study them, know them, figure them out and say, how can I love them? The same way I love myself because I love myself. How can I love them like that? I love me on my terms because when I got my time to do what I want to do, I totally do what I want to do. I want to want to do what I want to do. <laughs> so what are her terms? And what is it that makes her feel loved? We'll close with this. In the final verses, Paul says this. It says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. So just so you know, guys, if you ever felt like marriage was tarred and you couldn't figure it out, Paul thought the same thing. This is a profound mystery. He goes, but I'm also talking about Christ and the church. That's my big parallel. However, each one of you, and this is the summary of it all. When you think about meeting her needs and meeting his needs, this is a summary statement. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must what? Respect her husband. Men and women are so different in their, in their psychology, in their emotion, in their plumbing, in their physical makeup. Guys, you got 20% more bone density. Girls, you have more sensitive skin. It's just, you're just different. But in your soul, God has hardwired us with certain needs. And guys have a need to be respected. Even when, now listen to me, guys, I want you to do everything you possibly can to be respectable. Like make it easy on them. Don't make it a challenge. Don't, don't see how boneheaded can I be and see if she can still respect me. This is not a game. It's not a challenge. It's the opposite. I want you to be as respectable and honorable as you can. Because listen, I've never met a dude that was sold out his heart for Jesus that a wife had a hard time respecting him. 
Maybe there is. Maybe there's an anomaly. I just haven't seen it. So be as respectable as you can in everything that you do. But women, even when he's not, I still want you to respect him. Because when you start nagging and demeaning and demasculating, I'm telling you, you think it might bring about a good change. I'm telling you, it'll bring about a change, but not the one that you want. They will become more distant. They will become more bitter. They will become more hardened. They will become more quiet. They will not become the man that you thought and you wanted them to become. They will become less than that in one way or the other. Their need is to be respected. They want to be loved. We all want to be loved. We need to be respected. Ladies, same thing. You want to be respected? Never have I you know, known a woman that just loved to be disrespected by her husband. Never. So guys, this isn't like the out. Like, oh, I loved you. I don't respect you. No, no, no. Those things are mutually inclusive. Like you can't do one without the other. Like you have to respect your wife. But her need is to make sure that she feels loved and adored and chosen. And so Paul kind of wraps this idea up with, guys, the reason why marriage becomes so blissful is we start looking at how can I love and, and cherish my wife and how can I honor and respect my husband? And yeah, I'll love him and yeah, I'll respect her. But this is what makes a beautiful relationship. Not only are we different in our mind and our psychology, not only are we different in our, our plumbing and our physical and all of those things, we are different in our needs. And when you find somebody and you commit to saying, I'm going to meet their needs even when they're not totally deserving or totally worthy of it, now you're tapping into the grace of God because God loves you even when you're not deserving of it. This is the beauty of the gospel. That's why it's a profound mystery. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray that, God, we've all been maybe challenged a little bit, that, God, your words would, would help us, God, to walk out of this place and to begin to see the opposite sex differently. I pray for my singles in here, God, for every person here, God. I pray that you're preparing their heart and mind now, that, God, they're getting kind of just solidified now for how it is that they want to think about marriage, how they want to treat their future spouse. God, for my married couples in here, God, I pray... For some of us, we need to go repent this afternoon. We need to go in and apologize and say, we're sorry for dishonoring. We're sorry for not cherishing. We're not, we're, we're, God, help us to become the husbands and the wives that you've designed us to be so that marriage can be a wonderful and blissful thing, God. We pray that above all, God, that our heart would be surrendered to you. God, how can we submit to one another if we can't submit to you? God, it begins with you. And God, help us to tap into your grace so that we can give grace, God, to the one that you have paired us with, Lord. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.